Hello and welcome to another episode of the County Cricket Podcast in association with our friends at Bear Crickets. I'm your host, Aaron, aka the Cricket Connoisseur, and joining me first and foremost on the left of my screen for our final LV County Championship review of the season is none other than everyone's favourite up-and-coming cricket journalist, Mr. Kieran McCarthy. So Kieran, first things first, mate, great to have you here on the podcast for a chat for the last time about all things county championship and both divisions of the competition this season. I've got to ask, mate, how's your day been so far? Uh, it's going well. Um, Sky are showing the entire 2019 World Cup final. Um, so I just watched Mark Wood get Ross Taylor out. Um, I hope we win. Yeah, fingers crossed we do. If only we had a time machine or if only there's a way we could find out the end results. Hopefully it doesn't go to a super over, eh? And we all get a bit nervous. That would be crazy. It would be crazy. Imagine a World Cup final going to Supernova. I suppose we'll just have to wait and find out, won't we, Kieran? We'll, we'll have to watch that after recording the podcast. Surely that wouldn't happen. Never. But it isn't just Kieran joining myself here on the podcast today. Folks, for the final time this season, for the last review show, we've got the Three Musketeers. The gang is back for the last show of the season. So also joining me for today's episode of the podcast is everyone's favourite Yorkshire supporting for Essex base media officer, Mr. Matt Wiley. So, Matt, again, mate, I'll ask you the exact same question. How's your day been so far, mate? All very well, thank you, mate. Yeah, nice and uh, relaxed. Ahead uh, of my holiday starting on Wednesday. So, just taking it easy. We've got some quite nice weather down south. So, all, uh, all is good down here. Well, that's excellent here, lads. And I'm glad that you two are having as good of a day as I am. Honestly, the weather here in the Midlands isn't great, but... I suppose that's the nice thing about today's episode. Every single one of us represents a different region. We've got Kieran in the north, I'm in the Midlands, Matt's in the south. So we really are representing the, the country on today's episodes of the Cows Cricket Podcast. But folks, I think that's it for the intro, to be honest. I think we have to get straight into today's action because we've got an awful lot to discuss because the LV County Championship has come to a conclusion. The 16th round is over. We've got our Division 1 and Division 2 winners and that is it for the summer of 2023. So for the final time of the season, let's start with the Division 1 results. Starting first and foremost in the East Midlands, where Northamptonshire beat Essex by an innings and 39 runs at Wanted Road. Then on the south coast, we saw Hampshire beat Surrey by 52 runs at the Aegeus Bowl. We head back to the East Midlands, where Nottinghamshire beat Middlesex by two wickets in an absolute nail-biter at Trent Bridge. Then in the southeast, Kenton Lancashire played out a draw at the Spitfire ground in Canterbury. And in the fifth and final match of the round, Warwickshire and Somerset played out a draw at Edgbaston. So as a result of those fixtures, we have got the final standings for the 2023 LV County Championship in Division 1. So the title winners, yet again, back-to-back champions are Surrey County Cricket Club, having amassed 216 points from their 14 matches. In second, after that brutal defeat to Northamptonshire, are Essex on 196 points. In third, are Hampshire on 192 points. In fourth, are Warwickshire on 179 points. In fifth, were Lancashire on 161 points. In sixth, were Notts on 151 points. In seventh, were Somerset on 148 points. In eighth, were the White Horse of Kent on 111 points. And in ninth and tenth place, and as a result, we'll be competing in the second division in the summer of 2024. 
are Middlesex and Northamptonshire on 104 and 96 points respectively. So, gents, we have to start first and foremost with the champions-elect. Yet again, Surrey County Cricket Club are the champions of England and Wales for the 22nd time in their illustrious history. So, Kieran, I'll start with you first and foremost, mates. A few words on Surrey. Worthy champions, to say the least. Yeah, and I'm quite happy because I did predict them um, to win it at the start of the season. But, I, you, you know, it, uh, to me, it was quite obvious that they were going to win it. Um, you know, other people suggested that, that Lancashire um, had a good chance at the start of the season. Um, obviously, that didn't quite pan out um, the way a lot of people assumed it would have done. Um, but, yeah, um, sorry, were the best team um, by quite a long way. Essex, to be fair to them, were, were very good for, for a lot of the season, um, but then sort of when it counted, um, sort of slipped away. Um, whereas, you know, even, even though Surrey had sort of faltered in the last couple of rounds, you know, they put themselves in, in a good enough position that, um, you know, it, it wasn't a danger to them. Um, and the entire squad um, has been fantastic. Um, you, you look at the, the amount of people who, who've scored um over like 500 runs and, and the averages of a lot of the batters um, have been very good. And then um, the bowling attack has, has also been phenomenal. Um, and like that all being put together is, is just meant for the best side again um, and probably the best side again next season. Um, but I'm sure we'll get onto that in, in due course. Well, we shall do, Kieran, because that is one of the big questions for today's episodes of the podcast. Will Surrey continue this era of dominance heading into 2024? But before we jump the gun, just talking about that Surrey side, one of the key attributes, the key characteristics of that side is that there isn't really a standout performer, is there? And I think that's something really quite crucial to take on board. They don't have a quote-unquote standout player. Every single person from 1 to 11 contributes in that side. So, Kieran, as you said there, in terms of the bowling, the bowling has been absolutely superb. So Jordan Clark took 48 wickets at an average of 21.35. Dan Worrell, 48 wickets at 24.2. Tom Laws, what a season this guy had yet again. Definitely one of the standout Red Bull prospects in county cricket right now, taking 39 wickets at 19.76. And then, of course, with the bat in hand, we know how destructive, how ruthless, how dominant the Brown Caps are. So Jamie Smith, 736 runs at 40.88. Ben Folks, 716 runs at 39.77. Dom Sibley, the leading run scorer in the side with 746 runs at 39.26. As I said, throughout this side, there are contributions. There wasn't someone who necessarily topped the batting or bowling averages, who really stood out above everyone else. Every single person contributed to this time of success a bit like they did in 2022. And Matt, I do have to ask you this question. Do you think that is the reason why this Surrey side are so dominant? It's the fact that they don't necessarily have one player that they rely on. It really is a team effort when it comes to the brown caps in Red Bull cricket. Yeah, I think so. I think one of the big things I've noticed about them is that it's very, very hard to finish them off, bowl them out. You know, you think you've got them on the ropes, four or five, maybe even six down, and then there's still somebody in that lower order who will dig in and play for the team. And I think that's been, I mean, they've, been, they've, they've had a lot of strength, don't get me wrong, but that that's one thing that stood out. 
and that is very much a team effort, isn't it? It's somebody who you wouldn't expect having to fill that role. And it's been a number of people over the season in the lower order, somebody who you wouldn't expect having to do that, having to fill that role, but who has done it and has done it well for the team. And it's, like you said, just a, a group of players, not any one individual. And obviously, when you can dig in to the point that you're scoring considerably more runs than you would be expected to in repeatedly over a number of innings, then that means bonus points, it means first innings lead, and ultimately it means wins, which is what they've got, isn't it? So, yeah, it's just that everybody filling roles, everybody doing their role, but also fulfilling roles that they perhaps didn't need to or weren't expecting to, but still doing it well. I think that's a wonderful point you make there, Matt. And one of the things that stands out in that regard about Surrey being a tough team to break down and the fact that they do bat from 1 to 11, they've got Dan Worrell as the tail ender. He is their number 11 at times. They allow Kemar Roach to bat above him. Kemar Roach averaged 10. Dan Worrell averaged 15.75. Not a single player in that Surrey team averaged single digits in the batting department. So you think with some teams they've got long tails. Surrey don't. They get contributions throughout the order. And then, as we mentioned before, and the bowling attack has just been absolutely superb for the past couple of seasons. So, without a shadow of a doubt, the worthy champions yet again. And just talking of the wider picture, something which really did pique my interest over the course of this past week was a piece on the county championship socials. I'm not sure if you two saw this. There was an interview with Alex Stewart, the director of cricket at Surrey, during the game at the Aegeus Bowlands. Yes, Hampshire did win this game. They won by 52 runs. Excellent way for the Rose and Crown to finish off the season. But Surrey had already done the job. They've won the title. That's the main thing. And in this interview, Alex Stewart mentioned about other teams being jealous of Surrey. So I'd love first and foremost to know your opinion on that statement. But the other key aspect which I picked up on was this aspect of dynasty, right? And it's something which Surrey have had in the past. So you think of the Surrey team of the early 2000s, very dominant in particular in Red Bull crickets. And then obviously the one which stands out from a Brown Caps perspective is the team of the 1950s, a team which won, well, shared the title in 1950 with Yorkshire and then won in 1952, 53, 54, 55, 56, 57 and 1958. Surrey have got a history of producing eras of dominance. So I know it's early days. I know they've still got some things they need to work on. But gents, in your opinion, Kieran, I'll start with you first and foremost. Do you think this is the start of another dynasty in the history of Surrey County Cricket Club? Uh, firstly, on, the, on the, the being jealous of Surrey part, I think it, it would be weird if, if a lot of sides weren't. Um, they've got you know some of the best resources in the country, um, obviously financially in a very good position. Um, and you know if, if you're a side that, that's able to um, offer less money than, than Essex were for, for Dan Lawrence and still manage to, to get him across, there's certainly... Um, you know, there's a reason for that. Um, and it's because, you know, players want to play for Surrey um, because of the position they're in now. Um, so on that, I think um, the fact that people want to play for them, the fact that they have got all these resources um, and the fact that crucially in the in the move um, of, of Dan Lawrence from the side who finished second to the side who are finishing top, that significantly weakens Essex. Um, there are other sides below them that, you know, have been quite, considerably below Surrey um, this season. Um, Surrey are only going to get better um, with that move. Um, 
you'd assume they'll probably bring back some some very good um, overseas next season. You know, if, if it's not um, Kimar Roach coming back, um, if it's not Sean Abbott coming back, they'll find somebody else good. They, they invariably have very good overseas players. Um, so, you know, season on season, that they grow. Um, and I can't really see a lot of sides getting that much better to the point where um, they're going to be challenged all too much. Um, I, I'd go back to the, the the point that a lot of people thought Lancashire would have been good this season um, with a change of coach and, and potentially some some more additions. They might be able to to get to the point where where people thought they were going to be because they have underachieved um, so far this this season uh, or underachieved throughout the season. Um, beyond that, um, I think it's it's difficult to find a side who are are going to push Surrey um, to the end of a season. So. Um, Right now, I think it would be difficult to suggest that they're they're not going to be up and around the top of of the table for the next certainly next season um, and the seasons beyond that, just because of the pull they've got, the the amount of quality players that they're able to bring in, um, and the fact that they're able to take very good players from direct rivals, make themselves stronger, and make them weaker in in the process. It is interesting, isn't it, with Surrey? Because I suppose another aspect of that, which is important to know, is the age of the squad as well. So, for example, you do have your experienced veterans in the side. So, for example, your your Rory Burns, who's 33. But in addition to him, you've got Will Jacks, he's 24. You've got Ben Geddes, he's 22. Sai Sadarshan, who could come back next season, is 21. And then you've got guys like Tom Laws, who's 20, right? The core nucleus of this side is still relatively young. I know that they've got experienced players alongside them, but... They've got these guys tied down to multi-year contracts. They won't be leaving Surrey anytime soon. And they've been a real key part and parcel of these type of successes of the past two seasons. Jamie Smith as well, who's only 23, one of the most promising prospects in the entire country. So I think it's a very, very valid point, to be honest, that you make there, Kieran. They are going to be incredibly tough to topple in 2024. But I suppose the big question, again, if we're looking at the bigger picture is if there was a team to break down Surrey and topple them and become the champions of the county championship next season, who do you think right now is the most likely team to do that? Because you mentioned already in the podcast, Essex are going to get weaker next season. They're losing Dan Lawrence. Yes, they're bringing in Jordan Cox. They might lose Sir Alistair Cook to retirement as well. We don't quite know the situation with regard to that at the moment. Then you look at a team like Hampshire, for example, who've got an ageing squad in particular, in the bowling department, Warwick have been a little bit inconsistent, in particular with the batting hand, as have Lancashire over the course of this summer. So, in terms of the contenders, who do you think is best placed to contend and vie for that title if it isn't Surrey? Yeah, that's that's the question. As I say, yeah, I think Essex are probably going to drop off after this season. I think this season was probably their best chance um, of of winning the title. Um, the fact that they lose Dan Lawrence obviously significantly weakens them. If Alistair Cook is to go as well, um, then that's a lot of top order batting that you need to replace. That um, There's a lot of runs that were scored by those two this season that is going to be very difficult to replace. Um, either within the squad, you know, the likes of Feroz Cushy, um, you know, maybe people like Robin Das coming through. Um, obviously, Jordan Cox comes in. I don't see that makes them quite the side that they have been so far this season. You mentioned um, Hampshire's ageing bowling attack. I don't think that's going to be a huge problem. But then again, 
while they've been up there and they, they did beat Surrey the last game of the season, um, it was sort of like a last day of term field that sort of like it, it didn't really matter um, and, and had that game been played at a different point in the season, potentially Surrey um, would have overcome them. Um, Warwickshire is an interesting one um, because they, they do have have a lot, lot of resources. Um, if there's the likes of, of Chris Wokes playing more next season if if Liam Norwell who was phenomenal um the past couple of seasons and, and wasn't able to play this season if if he's back in the mix that obviously makes them stronger I think Lancashire is the most interesting one um in that if they bring in a new coach that, that gets them playing a different style of play and, and brings them up to the level that people thought they would be at um it'll be interesting to see if if they can they can contend um Obviously, if, if they bring back the likes of Daryl Mitchell or somebody like that, I think they'll be strong again. I'd also say Durham will be an interesting one um, coming up because Ryan Campbell's you know, made it no secret that he wants to, to make Durham the best side in, in the country. Um, they were head and shoulders above anybody in Division 2 this season. Um, and they've got the same group of players um, a lot of which are, are experienced in Division One, the likes of Alex Lees, um, Ollie Robinson, Scott Borthwick. Um, a lot of the better players do have experience um, in Division One. Um, then you know you look at the likes of Bastelader, who's 23, 24, um, is only getting better in first-class cricket. Whether or not Durham will pose a threat for the title. Um, I think it's a, a little bit too early to say, but if they play the way they have done in the two this season, I think they'll they'll put up a, a really strong fight. And I think they can certainly be in the top half. Um, and then if they build upon that um, over the coming few seasons, I don't see any reason why in, in a few seasons' time they can't be the side that's challenging for the Division 1 title. That's a really, really good point there, to be honest, Kieran. And I will pick up on that later in the podcast because when we get to our Division 2 chat, Durham are a focal point for this week's episode. In terms of that dominance in the second division, can it translate? That is the big question. So keep that fresh in the memory heading into a latter point of today's podcast. But in terms of, of one side that you mentioned there, before we get on to the relegation battle and the conclusion of that at the culmination of this week's round of fixtures, you mentioned there about Lancashire and Lancashire. I think of the team to watch over the off-season, to be completely honest, right? I've said this in a number of pieces of media, but in terms of their nucleus, they've got a good enough side to lift the championship. Obviously, they need things to go in their favour, so the weather really didn't help them, did it, early on in the season. But in terms of their core stars, I mean, this Lancashire side has got the leading run scorer in the first division. Josh Bohannon had an unbelievably good season scoring 1,257 runs, averaging 59.85, and scoring four centuries, as well as five half centuries as well. So in, in terms of the batting capabilities, you've got Luke Wells and Keita Jennings at the top as well, two of the most compact and complete openers on the entire circuit, so the most dependable options as well up the top. They, they've got the weaponry, but I think the key thing with Lanks, there's two things which they need to work on. First and foremost is the overseas department. So Aside from Daryl Mitchell, I don't think the overseas players necessarily did the best job for Lanks this season. In particular, Colin de Grandom. And I'm really sad to say that because I'm a big fan of CDG, but I don't think that he was utilised in the right role. But if they do bring Mitchell back, you've got a solid, dependable overseas option. They just need another one to complement him. 
And then the other big thing about Langs this year is the head coach. Because as of this last round of fixtures, they now don't have a head coach. Glenn Chapel has moved on from the club. He decided to step down after seven years in the role. So in terms of Lancashire, how do you see the winter going for the Red Rose? Because it's a pretty big one, isn't it? If they are to compete in the county championship next season. Yeah, and I think that the new coach can go one of two ways. It can either be, you know, that they bring in a very good coach um, and they, they get better immediately and, that you know, that they they have to play in the way that they want to play, you know, similarly to, you know, how Ryan Campbell has with, with Durham come in and immediately put his own stamp on the side with the, the signings that he brought into to Durham, um, has got his side playing really attacking cricket. You know, if, if there's a coach that, that comes in and has... Uh, an idea straight away of how they want the side to look, how they want the side to play, and they can implement that straight away, then yes, they do have the the players um, at their disposal that they could be a threat. On the other hand, if, um, you know, that they don't really have that, they they don't really get a coach that that has um, a massively um, set idea straight away about how they want to play um, because, you know, they've not worked with, with the players before um, and, and you know, they have to spend time looking at the overseas that they want to bring in whatever. Um, they, they don't really gel with the players immediately. It, it could go the other way. Um, I think you look at the squad that they've got, it, it's obviously a very good squad. There's a lot of talented players um, and I don't think it would be difficult for, for a coach to come in, um, add a couple of players to the mix and make them a threat. Um, to Surrey or to anybody up at the top end of the table but it very much depends on on who the coach is that they bring in um, and if it's somebody with the right experience um, and, and somebody who you know can can play the way that they want them to play um, so it, it very much depends um, and I, I don't really know who the options are for, for Lancashire at the moment I've, I've not really seen a lot of um, suggestion of, of who it could be um, but um, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Um, I, I think there's, there's certainly a good chance that, that they do improve, um, but you know it, it could go either way. It could do, and that is why I do stress the point. Lancashire are the team to watch across either division because they haven't made too many moves, have they, either? So I know they brought in Mitchell Stanley on a one-year contract from Worcestershire, but he's been the only signing of the season. Bear in mind that this team is losing Dane Villas because he's retired from county cricket now. They're also losing another couple of squad players, like Sir Danny Lamb, for example. Matt Parkinson is a massive loss. He's going down to Kent. And Rob Jones as well, who's been tremendously consistent in, in one-day cricket in the past couple of seasons. So they've got some moves to make. But if they can make the right moves, Lanks will be up there because this is a side which in the past has competed in the upper echelons of the first division. But I think that will be crucial. The, the transfers they make, and of course the head coach. They need a head coach who fits their philosophies. They need a head coach who will give this side a clear identity, a clear path to success, a bit like Ryan Campbell has done in the case of Durham County Cricket Club. So again, keep a close eye out on the Red Rose over the course of this off-season. I do think they are the sleeping giants, which is just waiting to be awoken over the course of this winter. But, but aside from Lancashire, Kieran, just one other side which I did want to briefly touch upon before we head into our chats and our discourse about the relegation battle is actually my county of Warwickshire because last season the Bears were really poor, weren't they? Let's face it, after being the defending champions 
finishing eighth and only staying up because of an unbelievable final day. We saw Liam Norwell take heroic figures of nine for 62 against Hampshire. This has been a much better season, hasn't it, for the West Midlands outfit. So they finished fourth. They've actually had quite a lot of bowling bonus points as well, 41 to be exact. It's the joint most in the country, along with Surrey in the first division. So how do you rate Warwick's chances heading into next season, given the fact that Liam Norwell, fingers crossed, will be back in a bear shirt? Chris Wokes could be back in action as well. Obviously, there's likes of Chris Rushworth and Oliver Hannan-Dorby, who took 107 wickets between themselves in this year's county championship. How do you assess the strengths and weaknesses of the Bears heading into next summer? Uh, I think they'll be they'll be up there again. You know, they'll be there or thereabouts. Um, obviously, finished fourth um, this season. As you say, a much better season than it was uh, last campaign when, yeah, they just survived on the last day because of Liam Norwell just being insane or uh, that that one game um yeah there's there's quite a lot of, of quality on, on both sides obviously you know you mentioned that the bowling uh oliver hannah dolby and, and chris rushworth um i think that the addition of rushworth was was fantastic for for warwickshire um and then you know you've got the likes of if norwell's available more often um if you know potentially you've got chris wokes playing more that's one of the best seam attacks um in county cricket um and then the batting sam hayne um if he's not more recognized by by england next season um you know, obviously have him for for a lot of of the campaign um ed barnard's been one of the best players in in county cricket um it, with both bat and ball um in in red and white ball um this season so uh there's a lot of players around that, that have contributed to to good results for Warwickshire. So um, looking forward, if there is just a few more quality players available, you know, the likes of Norwell, um, potentially Wokes, um, if Hayne is is available as much as it has been this season, then I certainly think they'll, they'll be sort of top four or five, um, whether or not it, they're, they're at the level of, of Surrey. Um, if everything goes right for them and everything comes together, um, then I don't see any reason why, why they can't um, compete at the top. Um, but, you know, um, they won a couple of games less than Surrey um, this season. So um, they would just have to, you know, find the way to, to win those games. And, and that can be easier said than done because uh, I think next season's Division 1 um is probably one of the strongest it, it has been for for a few years. I think um, you know the sides that are, that are coming up are, are certainly Durham are, are, are a very good outfit, um, and I think that the, the weaker sides have have gone. Um, so you know it, it'll be more difficult for for sides to beat other sides. Um, but you know if Warwickshire can can find a way to to find one or two more wins from where they were this season, then I certainly think they'll be challenging at the top end. I would say top four, but I'm not confident enough to, to say where within the top four um, at this moment. Well, if you were to ask for my opinion, as a very biased Bears fan who who knows what happens with Warwickshire County Cricket Club in years ending in four, which 2024 is an example of, I think we could win it. But then again, that's just my personal opinion. I, I do think we do have one of the best team attacks in the country, but... I think the real crux, the Achilles heel of this side is definitely the batting. It really is. So I know it's not a massive differential between the two departments, but 
you, you look at the batting bonus points, 22, right, compared to 41 in the bowling department. That's a big gap, 19 points separating those two. And it was in those losses as well. That's the really frustrating thing. Warwickshire could have been competing for the title this season. Had they have just kept their call against Surrey in both of those games, capitulated at both Edgebaston and the Oval, and then that defeat to Middlesex at Edgebaston was just atrocious, being bowled out for 60 for a side which has ultimately been relegated. That's where this season came undone, and there's definitely a lot to learn for the Bears heading into next summer, but I just think if we can add in the batting department, I'm not exactly sure who, because on paper, to be honest, I thought Craig Brathwaite would have been the one. You know, a solid, dependable, reliable overseas opener. I thought he fitted the bracket quite superbly on paper, but unfortunately had a really tough end to the season. So definite investment needed in that batting lineup. But in terms of the bowling unit, superb. And a quick shout as well to Oliver Hannan-Dorby and Christopher Rushworth, both absolutely brilliant in the summer of 2023. And fingers crossed for fans of the Bear and Ragged staff, they can replicate those incredible performances in the summer of 2024. But aside from the, the upper echelons of the Division One table, folks, we now have to turn our attention to the bottom of the table, and in particular, the two sides which got relegated. So we'll speak about North Ants in a bit, because I feel like we have to speak first and foremost about Middlesex, because that was heartbreaking, wasn't it? And Matt, we'll bring you back in now that your laptop is working again. We haven't been ignoring that in this week's episode. It was just a little bit of technical difficulties, but in terms of that defeat and in terms of the wider season, Matt, how would you summarise and reflect on the summer of 2023 for Middlesex County Cricket Club? Tough. Mm. I think you can uh, boil it down to, can't you? Yeah, really difficult, right from day one. Um, it's the batting that let them down, wasn't it? Plain and simple. Um however many single figures of batting bonus points and they only passed 350 for the first time in the last game you, you're always going to be playing catch-up aren't you so yeah it's it, the bowling attack i suppose did what it could to keep things alive for as long as it could but when you're just dependent on your bowling attack to repeatedly bail you out it's uh it's, it's never going to be a season of great success is it so yeah, it's just going to have to be a case of. I think that I think the problem that you've got is that there's no, there doesn't seem to be an easy fix because you talked there just there about Craig Brathwaite being on paper good for Warwickshire. I think it's a similar thing at Middlesex. You know, you've got Robson, Stoneman, Peter Milan at the start. These are all top quality batters. You know, on paper they should be good enough to compete and easily keep this team in Division One, but it just wasn't the case. Was it? That was the difficult thing. So it's going to have to be a coaching issue. It's going to have to be a winter of reflection. But I think we'll just have to wait and see as to whether or not they can bounce back. And I suppose the argument that you could make is that maybe they'll have a slightly easier time of it in Division 2 that might enable them to rebuild that platform and rebuild that confidence. But yeah, this season's definitely been difficult for them. And it's just Again, the way it happened in sport, it's always the hope that kills you, isn't it? But uh, I think as a whole, when you look at the season and you think probably the league table doesn't lie and probably was the fairest thing to happen, I think. 
Oh, I think that's a fair reflection, to be honest, Matt. And just one thing which stands out above all other, you mention the batting in particular, and we look at the batting bonus points, five. Five batting bonus points over the course of 14 matches. It is the lowest figure in the history of the first division of the county championship. No other side has ever registered such a low number of batting bonus points. So that just screams out right off the bat. And don't get me wrong, Northants also had a very, very tough time. They accumulated 10 over the course of this season, but that is the crux of the matter. At the end of the day, Middlesex went down by seven points. If they could have won that game at Merchant Taylors instead of drawing it against Northamptonshire, if they could have produced some more fighting displays with the bat in hand, in particular in the first innings, we'd be sat here talking about Middlesex surviving the drop. But unfortunately, that was not the case. And in terms of how it materialised, it really was heartbreaking. In terms of these last two games, they collapsed against Warwickshire, ultimately lost that game, and again, we speak about valuable points. They would have just needed a draw in this game if they could have saw out that game against the Bears at Lords. And then for it to come down to the final day, the final few overs of the season, Jake Ball eventually sweeping the ball away for getting the winning runs for Knots to take them to a two-wicket victory. It really was a gutting way for Middlesex to go down. But in terms of next season, Matt, again, I'll, I'll stick with you, mate. How do Middlesex bounce back? Because they are in a bit of turmoil at the moment. I think that's very safe to say, not just on the field, but off of it as well, with the financial issues that the ECB have, have brought to light over the past few weeks. But they have brought in Leia's deploy. I suppose he is a reliable, experienced, battle-hardened option in that top order. But do you think it's just the batting or do you think it's the balance of the side? How do you think Middlesex can bounce back and return to the first division over the course of next summer? Well, yeah, just to sort of double down on the original point, the, the batting has to improve, doesn't it? Somebody, you know, Richard Johnson will plain and simple is going to have to find a solution to that. Um, but I think this this is where it could slightly work in their favour. You know, you've got a problem with the finances and that, I suppose, it, it's an issue with recruitment. It causes an issue with recruitment because you can't perhaps bring in a player that you've had on your radar for a while or you can't get somebody to sign a new contract or you know so thing, things like that but they do have the quality already in their rank you know they, I, I said it there Stillman Robson that is a really really good I think on paper you are probably struggling to find a better opening stand maybe you know Burns and Sibley but both of those have played international cricket Stillman and Robson and they are I think they are good enough to be able to lay platforms um, maybe they're a little bit new capped by the fact that when if, if they have to bat first, Lords is never a particularly easy place to bat first. But, you know, they, for a start, they don't play all the games at Lords. They certainly don't play all the home games at Lords either. You know, they, there are little things that will work in their favour. And I don't, I don't think this is a side that's a huge, massive chasm away from being competitive. You know, it's it's just the side that has quality in it that's had a bad drop. And obviously the problem that you've got in, in any sport, I suppose, is the issue of confidence. You know, you have a bad spot to start with, your confidence evaporates, morale falls away, and subsequent games are affected and you get into that kind of vicious spiral. But if they can start well with a good platform, 
next season in Division 2, which might be, again, a little bit more of a possibility, then you have that chance. And I think we can look, they, they just need to look to go in the opposite direction. Start well, start as you need to go on, and then they can rebuild that confidence. And that is a batting lineup, like I said, that should take them to success, or at the very least, it should take them to promotion. Well, it did last season, didn't it? Let's face it, Robson and Stoneman were integral pillars behind the, the team's rise to Division 1 in the first place. But it is a bit of a kick in the teeth, isn't it, to be honest? It's a really tough thing to take. Going down on the final day of the season, trust me, it's really, really difficult to come to terms with. So I, I feel for the Middlesex fans. I really do. But then again, they've got the chance to rebuild and in particular improve that batting heading into next summer. Because aside from Sam Robson and Ryan Higgins as well, 955 runs for the, for the Middlesex all-rounder over the course of this season. Thought he was superb, but for far too many times, he was the lone warrior, wasn't he? In that batting lineup, holding things together, they need to gel as a unit. And I think that's something they need to learn heading into next summer. But uh, aside from Middlesex, who obviously went down on the final day of the season, North Ants as well. Kieran, a few words on North Ants. How do they bounce back heading into next season? Because it's not looking great, is it? On paper, to be honest. And again, they might actually suffer a few more departures heading into this winter. Yeah, it's a tough one um, in that yeah, you, there's sort of the same um, travails as as Middlesex that um, the batting just wasn't good enough. I know at the start of the season they were um, hamstrung by the fact that there were a couple of top order batters out injured. Um, that obviously you know doesn't help right off the bat if you're if you're against um, you know not only you know playing against good sides but having a weak inside yourself. Um, it's difficult to to overcome that um and i think you know the same as as with with middlesex i think the batting is is the thing that really needs to improve um i think that the fact that they'll they'll have pretty sure for a little bit of of next season obviously it adds um you know a lot to that batting lineup but um whether or not one person is is enough to to make the difference um is is another question i think they'll probably struggle to to bounce back um just because you know the the resources that that they should have um other than you know one or two two guys at the top of the order you know i think emilio gay is a very good cricketer um there are there are a few guys around the squad that that you know can impact games but i don't think there's there's enough right now um and they certainly haven't shown this season that that there has been enough um so i think it's just a case of it might take a few seasons. They might have to have a little bit more recruitment over the next few seasons. If it's not, you know, over the winter, then over the next few, um, whether or not um, the addition of Prithy Shaw adds that much um, remains to be seen. But I think it's just sort of biding the time, um, you know, maybe um, it just sort of a little bit of like, you're playing at a, a slightly lesser level in, in Division 2, get used to that, you know, um, and, and get used to it not losing games um, because, you know, ultimately they, they lost too many games to to stay in, in the division um, this season. So first and foremost, you know, maybe not looking to, to win every game next season, but just look to not lose games and then and then build from that and, and get used to not being on the losing side all the time. And then from there, you know, um, that should give them a little bit more of a platform that they can potentially build on. Um, but as I say, um, 
it's sort of a, a problem in that they don't really have the resources at the moment and and that's something that how, however hard it is they they're going to have to attempt to to make something of um I, I think it will be difficult for them again next season it could be and i did allude to it over the course of this winter but the the proverbial sharks are circling to be honest for a couple of their players so jack white for example finished as the club's leading wicket taker in the championship this season took 50 wickets an average of 25 and if rumours are to be believed Lancashire really are vying for his his signature for the future so we'll have to wait and see what happens in that regard and then of course the contract situation with the likes of Ricardo Vasconcelos and Emilio Gay two massive massive weapons at the top of the order those two could also be searching for new pastures so Again, this is a massive winter for Northamptons. They'll be they'll be gutted. They'll be absolutely gutted. But as you mentioned there, Kieran, the, the batting and the bowling just wasn't there this season. I feel like at times in particular in April and May, they probably got sucked into basketball a little bit too much. They tried to play outside of their game instead of just sticking to the basics, which they've done against the likes of Warwickshire, Surrey and Essex towards the latter stages of the season. But... Yeah, again, it's it's rough to see, but the only thing they can do is, is bounce back in the summer of 2024. And chaps, before we get on to our Division 2 chats and we, we we start looking at the likes of Durham and Worcestershire, just one final county, which I just wanted to touch upon very briefly, is Kent. Because Kent did not have a great season at all. And it's very similar to what I was experiencing last year with Warwickshire. Staying up on the final day of the season, you do have this overwhelming sense of relief, but... If we're looking at the bigger picture, this was a really poor season for Kent, wasn't it? Let's just face it, given the, the weaponry that they have, in particular in the batting lineup, with the likes of Zach Crawley, the likes of Danny Bell Drummond, Sam Billings, Joe Denley, Jack Leaning, guys like that, Jordan Cox as well, of course. This is a team which should not have been in eighth place, but it's just not worked at all this season, has it? They've been incredibly inconsistent. And something which just leaps off the page for me is the bowling points. 34, it's the joint lowest in the entire division alongside North Ants. So, Matt, I'll ask you this question. How on earth do Kent improve heading into next summer? Hope that fan billings can be available, though. I think that's, yeah, um, you can't account for personal issues such as that, can you? That's your issue. You can't, you know, on paper, I do in practice, are very, very different things. And, you know, when you have problems such as what Sam Billings went through, I think those sort of things can radiate to the rest of the squad. So when, when you're dealing with a, a group, a team sport like that, so I think you just need to try and look for that sort of team spirit and hope that everybody can come together and be... You just, I'm not saying hmm, I don't. I don't want to say pushing for the same goal because obviously everybody is. But you just need to make sure that everybody has everybody's back and really put a lot of emphasis on that team spirit. Everybody's supporting everyone, and that should hopefully help get the best out of this, this group of players. Because you're right, you know this this season that hasn't happened, and obviously they're going to lose. Jordan Cox, who's going to be a big loss, but don't, they've, they've got plenty of good young players coming through, so they've still got Tawanda Mugayu, who's a hell of a prospect, so 
yeah, I think that's just going to have to be what it is. Make sure that everybody's pushing in the same direction. Everybody knows their role and just place a lot of emphasis on that team spirit. And that should hopefully uh, allow them to continue going to where they're going. Because uh, the, good, the good thing is, obviously, the bowling issues that plagued them last season have been rectified a little. That certainly seems to be going in the right direction in that area. So I think it's just a case of making sure that everybody's taking on the right sort of the right role and they're very clear. Well, it's a fair point, to be honest, Matt. And I do think at times this season we have seen a little bit of discontent in that Kent side. And it is something which does need to be just stamped out, doesn't it? Heading into next summer, there's been a lot of frustration in the camp this season. But again, next year, brand new slates, brand new starts. They've got to compete in the division. And I do think the addition of Matt Parkinson will be fantastic. I think he's a great signing across formats, to be honest, for the White Horse of Kent. But I just feel like they need an overseas seam bowler. That's what I feel like they need at the moment. I feel like that's just jumping off the page because those bowling bonus points are absolutely crucial. And if they can't get them, they will struggle yet again. So time will tell, but a very disappointing end to the season of Kent. But at least they stayed up. And that's the positive thing. Look at Warwickshire this summer. You can always bounce back. The Bears went up four places by the end of this season. So if you're a Kent fan, fingers crossed that your team can bounce back a lot stronger in the summer of 2024. But Division 1 chat aside, let's now turn our attention to the second division because Division 2, let's face it, lads, really did deliver, didn't it, this season? We've seen two teams who were desperate to get back to the first division and both those counties are now back. They have been officially promoted heading into next summer. So before we talk about Durham and Worcestershire, and Kieran, I'd love to know your thoughts about that first and foremost. Let's just take a look at the final round of fixtures in the second division for the summer of 2023. So let's start in the northeast, where Durham beat Leicestershire by an innings and 141 runs at the Riverside. Then heading slightly further down south to Yorkshire, we had the White Rose beating Worcestershire by six wickets at Headingley. Then on the south coast, we saw Sussex beat Gloucestershire by 339 runs at the first central county ground in Hove. And finally, heading over to Wales, we saw Glamorgan and Derbyshire play out a high-scoring draw at Sophia Gardens. So where did that leave the table at the end of this season's county championship? Well, at the top, unsurprisingly, after dominating the division all season long, were Durham on 233 points. In second, securing their promotion back to the promised land of Division 1 for the first time since 2018, are Worcestershire on 167 points. In third were Sussex on 150 points. In fourth were the Foxes of Leicestershire on 142 points. In fifth and sixth were Glamorgan and Derbyshire on 139 and 113 points respectively. Then in seventh were the White Rose of Yorkshire on 109 points. And in eighth and bottom place of the second division were Gloucestershire on 97 points. So, gents, there's only really one place that we can start and that is, of course, at the top of the table. Durham back in Division 1, Worcestershire back in Division 1, Kieran McCarthy, how great is that to say for both those clubs after so many seasons falling away in the second division? Yes, uh, it's it's very good to see. Uh, I mean, you, you look at last season, um, you know, Worcestershire were, were sort of up and around the, the top end of the table for, for you know, throughout the season and didn't manage to, to get up. Um, Durham were uh significantly lower they finished sixth last season um and yeah i'm 
point back to the, the hiring of, of Ryan Campbell and, and the guys that he's brought in and the philosophy of cricket that he, he wants to play um, has made Durham a, a powerhouse um, and they've been head and shoulders above any other side um, in the division this season. Worcestershire have obviously been, been a very good side um, this season. Um, it would have been interesting to see had Sussex not got that points deduction, um, whether or not you know their, their games after that point would have panned out differently and whether or not they'd have had enough to to get themselves up. Um, but as you say, um, it's it's good to see a couple of sides that have been sort of stuck in, in Division 2 make their way back up to Division 1. Um, and I certainly think from a Durham point of view, they will be able to challenge uh, next season, whether or not um, Worcestershire will um, remains to be seen. Um, I know they, they've got a few good players coming in um, they've also got quite a few good players going out as well. Um, so, you know, whether or not they, they've got um, a massive chance of of um, battling in, in Division 1 next season remains to be seen. But uh, as you say, it, it's good to see both of those sides um, get themselves up to Division 1 first and foremost. It certainly is. And we've spent so many hours, to be honest, on this podcast this season praising Durham. So we don't have to go into too much more detail because... I think we've said what already needs to be said. Every single one of us is absolutely elated for the fans of that county cricket club after all of the turmoil in the aftermath of those 2016 sanctions. This club really was in the doldrums and they've refound an identity. They've refound their winning ways and they deserve to be back in the first division. So congratulations first and foremost to Durham winning the second division in incredibly emphatic fashion. I think we're all in agreement with that, but... Yeah, I do agree, Kieran. I do think Durham definitely a side to watch out for heading into Division 1 next season as well. But I just wanted for this episode to focus a little bit more on Worcestershire because it was a wonderful moment, wasn't it? And I loved what their admin put on social media, that Josh Baker scored the best two from four balls we will ever see in the history of county cricket because those two runs secured that final batting bonus point, which officially secured promotion for the first time in, in five seasons. So... Matt, just a few words on on Worcestershire. Why do you think they were so successful this season in comparison to last year? Because one of the things which really did characterise Worcestershire last season, even though they didn't they didn't lose too many matches, they tended to draw an awful lot. So how do you think they turned this form around and ultimately secured that promotion back to the first division? I think obviously, as we saw. Over the last couple of years, there was that new road issue, wasn't there? Which is that it was literally a road. It was that, it, that you know, when, when your home ground is not conducive to results, it's not, you're not really going to go anywhere, are you? I mean, you were saying, I remember you were saying, Kieran, um, a, couple, a couple of weeks ago, I think you were talking about Glamorgan, and you said you can't draw your way to promote it, and you can't. You, you have to be able to almost risk you know, with the whole basketball thing, you have to risk losing in order to try and win. And you do, you know, you're not going to get anywhere if you're just playing on rolled concrete and just drawing repeatedly. So, you know, if that was, if, for example, it was an away ground that they played twice on and really struggled to get a result on, then you could say, oh, well, maybe it is an issue with the team. Maybe they've got this, they can't take wickets, they can't. Score runs when the opportunity is presented to them. 
but it was their home ground. You know, they're playing half of their games there. Obviously, they're just not going to go anywhere. And I think an acceptance that that was the case and a desire to try and improve that and be more positive with their cricket and be more forward-thinking, that has helped them massively because they do have the quality in that lineup. You know, the um, just just as they, you know, they probably didn't see as much of Josh Chong as they would have liked owing to England, but they still saw the likes of Dylan Penning and Jack Haynes. Obviously, I'm naming people who are leaving, but they've still been able to play for them this season, and that has helped them massively. You know, back back those players say we've got a really good chance here. Give them conditions that allow them to show their best, and. They've done that, you know. Jake Libby is another who's had a hell of a season. He's been doing it for a number of years. And it's just everything's kind of finally pieced together for them. And I think that's what it is. It's obviously when you go for success, everything has to come together, doesn't it? All the people in the team have to perform. The conditions have to be right. The coaching has to be right. The team atmosphere, the supporters, everything has to come together which is why it's so difficult to achieve in any sport. But this year for Worcestershire, it absolutely has. It has, Matt. And I think two people in particular who deserve an immense amount of credit, in particular considering what has has gone on at the club recently with so many departures. First and foremost, the captain, Brett Oliveira, led from the front century in this final game. Absolutely superb all season long in that leadership position. And also the head coach, Alan Richardson. You know, he's mustered this side. He's given them so much confidence, so much faith in their ability. And ultimately, that is what's led them back to the first division. But just picking up on those departures, Kieran, do you worry slightly about the pairs heading into next season? Because you seem very confident of Durham's ability to contend in Division 1 next year. But do you feel a little bit of apprehension with Worcestershire? Because even though they've made some good additions, so Rob Jones, for example, from Lancashire, Tom Taylor coming in as well from Northamptonshire, they have got some very capable cricketers in red ball cricket, but do you worry slightly considering the fact that a number of protagonists from this season, the likes of Jack Haynes, as Matt mentioned, Dylan Pennington, Josh Tung, who's now an England quality seamer, have now left the club. Do you worry that the pairs are a little bit thin in terms of maybe depth heading into the first division next summer? I don't think it's as much depth because I I know there are more people leaving than, than there are joining. But I think the, the three names that, that you picked out there, Jack Haynes, Dylan Pennington and, and Josh Tung are the big departures. Um, and there are Ethan Brooks, Rob Jones and Tom Taylor coming in. So there are three players coming in to fill sort of three important spots. Um, I don't think the guys that are coming in are, are quite at the level of the ones that are leaving. Um, I think it's just the players that are leaving Certainly those three players especially have been some of their best players and are some of the higher quality players. Um, and the ones that are coming in will find it difficult to to live up to the expectations that perhaps might be on them. Um, and yeah, it might be hard for them to, to come by results because, you know, players that, that can that can change a game for the side um, aren't playing for them anymore. Um, so yeah, I, I mentioned Durham. The, the core of that side um, is is going to stay mainly the same. Um, they might even bring in um, some 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 more players. Whereas 
Worcestershire have actually got a little bit weaker um, and I think they'll certainly struggle to to build upon um, the promotion whereas I, I don't think Durham will, will have any problems with with going from strength to strength um, because of the promotion. It's interesting that you mentioned Durham's transfers as well because they are of course getting the likes of Colin Ackerman and Callum Parkinson from Leicestershire as well so we'll, we might discuss the Foxes in due course but yeah, I do agree that Durham probably are the better of the two sides on paper heading into next season. But with that being said, Worcestershire really do deserve an immense amount of credit. And another two protagonists who, again, deserve a mention, Jake Libby, as Matt alluded to beforehand, 1,153 runs in 12 matches, averaging 57.65. The club's leading run scorer in the first-class format, the third overall in the entire division. Absolutely superb with a capital S. And then, of course, the veteran same bowler, Joe Leach, 48 wickets, averaging 29.45, included two five-wicket hauls in that for good measure, has led the bowling attack excellently over the course of this season, and unsurprisingly, the club's leading wicket-taker in red ball cricket. So, again, I thought those two definitely deserve a mention. And to be honest, I can't wait to see them back. I really can't. I know in recent years, the, the Bears versus Pears rivalry has maybe simmered down slightly, in, in the first division, purely because when we've gone down, we should have gone up and vice versa in 2018. But there's something special about this rivalry. It's just great to see on a fixture sheet, Warwickshire versus Worcestershire at Edgebaston and Worcestershire versus Warwickshire at New Road. So congratulations to the pairs. And yeah, guys, aside from the promotion contenders then, one team which I did just want to touch upon ever so slightly was Sussex because there was quite a big piece of news coming out of the South Coast this week, and that is the the lack of Chris Wright in 2024. Now, for those who don't know this story, Chris Wright initially was meant to join the club next season on a two-year contract, and unfortunately, as was revealed by Paul Farbrace on the commentary this weekend, that is no longer the case. Chris Wright is, is expected to stay at Leicestershire as a result of family reasons, so... That is a tremendous loss to that Sussex attack heading into next summer already. And then, of course, there's the, the talk of the captain. I don't think it's going to be Fateshwa Pajara, just based off of what I've heard on the commentary and various pieces of media. So, Matt, I'll, I'll go to you first, mate. Sussex are looking for an experienced captain and an experienced bowler. Who do they fill those gaps with? Um, oh, you put me on the spot there, definitely. Um... Well, I think experience is probably still a bit harder to come by at Sussex, isn't it? Because the project, even though it's slightly reaching its zenith, is still being one very much focused on you. Um, it's a really difficult one, actually. Yeah. And the loss of Chris Wright is massive. Um, or the, the possible loss of Chris, possible game that's now not happening is quite big because like you said he was gonna fill he's gonna be two birds with one stone there really um honestly yeah um tom allsop's still not that experienced is he would you want to give it to tom haynes maybe who's performed quite well but is still quite young himself i don't know to be honest it's a difficult one um, it is. And that's why I asked it though, Matt. That is exactly why I asked it, because 
there isn't exactly someone there isn't an obvious who screams out on paper. Now, with that being said, though, I did see some things on social media. Potentially, Toby Rowland-Jones might be out of a contract this season. So he's someone with previous Red Bull experience as a captain, obviously experienced in the format with the ball in hand. So he could be a potential one on their radar. But do they have the pulling power to take him away from the home of cricket? That is the big question. And then, of course, when it comes to those experienced bowlers, two players have left their respective clubs this week. So Jake Ball, unfortunately, left Nottinghamshire. Jack Brooks has left Somerset. Then again, will they relocate? The rumours are that Jake Ball is going to Somerset. Jack Brooks doesn't want to relocate from Oxfordshire. So will he be willing to make that journey down to the South Coast on a weekly basis? We don't know. So that is the big question for Sussex heading into this season. Who fulfills those roles? Can they replace the likes of a Chris Wright? I know that's theoretical because we didn't see him in a Sussex shirt, but can they get a like-for-like replacement? Can they bring in an experienced captain to marshal the troops to get through those difficult moments, the, the moments of adversity which went against them this season? So, again, it's going to be a very, very interesting winter down in Hove, and we shall have to wait and see what happens over the course of this off-season. But I just think that Sussex is an interesting one, in particular after all of the, the off-field and I suppose the on-field stuff this season. It's been a very tumultuous couple of weeks and one which I do think will bring an overhaul down on the south coast. So we'll have to wait and see what happens with Sussex. But yeah, I think it's safe to say that a very disappointing end to the campaign from a Martlet's perspective in more ways than one. But uh, aside from Sussex, folks, I wanted to touch upon one team in particular before I get on to a player and we wrap up proceedings for our round 16 review show, but Gloucestershire, we haven't really spoken about the West Country outfits at all on the podcast in recent weeks, and yet I had them as a promotion contender in the preview show. That has gone completely wrong in 2023. So, Kieran, where on earth did Gloucestershire go from here? Because bottom of the table, so technically the recipients of the wooden spoon, and they didn't win a single game all season. So how on earth do they improve heading into next summer? Make sure it doesn't rain um, would be the, the first thing. I think that certainly didn't help them. Um, I think the fact that they've drawn eight games, um, certainly some of them were impacted by the fact that, that it rained quite a lot early on in the season. Um, is that something that they can control? Not really. I mean, like they, they can control how how the ground staff do get get about things and whatever but you know you can't stop the fact that it, it rained quite a lot um and, and they've they've done all, all they could in um you know early on to to hopefully get games on where, where they couldn't um they, they didn't win a single game as you mentioned so you have to find a way to win games um you know um that's easier said than done um but you know they were a, a division one side not too long ago so you know there's certainly a side that's that's capable of winning games but the last couple of seasons have been very poor from from a Gloucestershire perspective so it's a it's a tough question of how do you improve on that um no outs at, at the moment uh no ins as well so it, it's very much just are things going to be the same next season um you would hope not um and i think that the fact that they, they did sort of lose a lot of cricket to, to the weather you know as a lot of sides have done um this summer at least there's more of a chance of of getting some form of result whether that's a draw whether that's a win 
with being on the field more. Um, they would hope that that'll be the case next season. But, you know, with, with not a lot of personnel change um, from one season to the next after two very poor seasons, it, it sort of doesn't look like much is going to change. Um, so it, it's, I, I don't know how the, the coaching staff sort of drill it into them that, that uh, how to win games cricket, because that's obviously something that they've sort of forgotten over the past season and, and a little bit. So, um it's a tough question to answer. Um, we, you know, it, it would be easy if there were a couple of very good cricketers um, coming into the side. You'd say, right, you, they add this, they add this. Currently, nothing. So it, it just looks rough for them for next season at the moment. Well, it is. And that, again, is why I asked that question. I do apologise. Those last two questions were very difficult. But again, the things which you know, just came onto my mind because these are two sides. I know Sussex were a lot more successful than Gloss this season on the field, but they're two sides which should have been up there. And and for Gloucestershire not to have been up there and, and not just not contend, but to finish bottom is tremendously disappointing. And I suppose questions will be asked of the coaching staff. That's something which I have no doubt we'll, we'll discuss in a bit more detail on the end of season review show. But in terms of those youngsters, they've got the Price brothers. Those two, two of the brightest prospects on the entire circuit right now. You've got Joe Phillips coming up as well. You've got the likes of, of Zaman Akhtar as well and AJ Dale in the bowling department. So they have got potential options heading into the future. But Kieran, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. This team has won two out of their last 28 first-class matches. That's absolutely staggering for a team of Gloucestershire's capabilities. That's really disappointing. And how on earth do you turn that around? That is the, the million-dollar question. So we'll have to wait and see which transfers they do make. But again, there's no easy fix. And Gloucestershire are definitely a team to watch out for over the course of this off-season. But guys, before we, we wrap up proceedings for today's podcast, just one final thing which I wanted to touch upon, right, which does very much relate to this week, is, is Lewis Race, right? The experienced Derbyshire all-rounder who's been absolutely brilliant in these last few weeks. And in the 16th round, he set a record for the club so he scored at least a half century in seven consecutive first class innings so he had a great end to the season really was a bright spot in what was otherwise a very disappointing campaign for the East Midlands County who again went winless in this year's county championship so Matt just a few words on Lewis Reese, if you could mate how impressed have you been with his performances to wrap up what's been a very difficult season for Derbyshire County Cricket Club yeah, very good. And I've kind of spoken in the past about my appreciation and admiration for players that aren't getting anywhere near England, but they just do their job for the county consistently and with quality. And he's very much one that falls into that group, isn't he? He's just, um, he didn't quite make it at Lancashire, so he's made, so he made the move to Derbyshire. Um, I'm probably talking, what, how long have you been at Derbyshire? seven, eight years at least, I'd say. Um, and he's just repeatedly filled the role. He's, you know, batted at the top of the order, bowled when he's needed to. And he just does his job extremely well. And I think that is the sort of player, not just that you can appreciate and be kind of thankful is in your team, but should be looking, everybody should look, look to get yourself one of those players. I think the positive effect that they have 
not just on the field but off the field with the team spirit as well. He's massive. So, yeah, a strong finish for him. And uh, if he carries that through the winter, you know, that's easier said than done, obviously. But if he does carry that through the winter, maybe Derby should can get their sort of uh, five-year project with uh, Mickey at the helm back on track. Yeah, they certainly do, don't they? Because this has been a rough season. It really has. But I suppose they are bringing in the likes of Mohamed Amir next season into the bowling attack. And then, of course, the, the resurgence of Lewis Reese That will not go amiss at all for these Midlands outfits. So I, I just thought as a way of, of ending the podcast, giving a massive shout out to Lewis Reese was, was a worthy thing to do because he is one of the great guys in county cricket, does an awful lot for charity. And to see him finish with 1,048 runs, averaging 87 0.33, scoring four centuries, five fifties, and then also finishing with the third best bowling average on the team, taking 20 wickets at 30.60. Lewis Reese take a bow, and fingers crossed he can replicate those performances heading into next season, because if he does get some support in both the batting and the bowling department from the likes of Harry Kane, from the likes of Wayne Madsen, Brooke Guest, guys who we know can provide exactly that, I do think Derbyshire will be better placed heading into next summer, but again, we'll discuss Derbyshire, Yorkshire, Gloucestershire, Sussex, Leicestershire, Durham, Worcestershire, and all of the 18 first-class counties in a lot more detail in our end-of-season review show in a couple of weeks' time. But, gents, that does bring us to an end to today's episode of the County Cricket Podcast. 16 rounds of the LV County Championship, 177 days of crickets over the course of an unforgettable summer have now come to a close. And just before I do end the podcast, lads, I just wanted to say a massive thank you on my behalf to both yourself, Kieran and Matt. You've been brilliant all season long. And folks, if you don't already follow them, please do give them a follow on Twitter. They've helped me so much over the course of this summer, both on the podcast, off the podcast. Two excellent lads. And I couldn't ask for two better co-hosts, to be completely honest, to share this summer of cricket with in 2023. But that is it from us three here at the Counts Cricket Podcast for today's episode. To each and every single one of you wonderful listeners out there, thank you ever so much for tuning in. And as always, guys, we'll see you on the next one.